What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Welcome to episode 12 of the Clip City Podcast. I am your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. I'm joined today by a special guest, uh, someone I've known for a few years now. Uh, we're, we're a bit of frenemies right now with, with some of this Twitter stuff going on. <laughs> uh, my guy, Tomer Azarli. I've never even said your last name, I just realized. So I, yeah. I, I hope I didn't butcher that too bad. It's okay. Tomer Azarli. Uh, Not bad. Yeah. I know. I know. People butcher my name all the time, so it's a, it's a sensitive thing. But uh, he's Clippers reporter for Clutch Points, and uh, he's been enjoying a great season. Uh, he's been doing a lot of good stuff, so um, welcome on, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you having me on. So we have a game six, and I, I don't know if you were expecting that. I, I wasn't. No. Um, <laughs> no. You know, it, it's been funny throughout this series – I've been doing some like podcasts and radio with, with Bay Area people and they keep trying to be like, you know, do the Clippers have a chance? Are they going to, you know, are they going to stretch this to six? Are they going to stretch this to seven? And I keep being like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I guess like they, they have a, a shot, but um, like, you know, not, not to win the series, but I guess to win a couple games, but I just, I did not see this happening, uh, you know, especially winning two games in Oracle um, where the Warriors have been, uh, I think heading into this series, they were 40 and six at Oracle under Steve Kerr. Uh, they've basically been unbeatable there. Hadn't yeah. lost the first round game there, you know, uh, under Steve Kerr. And it's just been, it's been insane. The, the, these two wins. I, you know, I, I, I mean, honestly, I, I thought this was going to be a quick sweep. Uh, you, you just look at these two rosters on paper and uh, just, just the, the talent disparity, the, the star power, I thought this was going to be a sweep. If you know, if they, if they got one, I thought it'd be at home. Um, probably like a game four, sort of like what Utah did, where they, you know, back against the wall, had to win one, so they did. I'm just, I'm surprised that they, they they took one at Oracle, let alone two. And I think the the last one was was way better for their confidence than than the first one. So, which win to you was more impressive? Because I, I've gone back and forth with with this, like the the game two win. Um, you know, on paper might be the, well, it's, it's the best playoff comeback of all time. And when you just think about it, like playoffs are a different level than the regular season. So it's probably the best just comeback period of all time in in NBA history, especially like you said, given the talent disparity between the rosters, given where the game was played at Oracle and and the fact that if the Warriors won that game up two O's is pretty commanding, especially for a team of that caliber. So Really, the Clippers saved their season, uh, you know, with with that win, and they outscored the Warriors by 
Uh, I think the the final mar or that final run was something like seventy two thirty seven. So like they yeah. blew out the Warriors at Oracle, which is just insane. Uh, but but then this one, like they led almost wire to wire. Uh, you know, if if you look at the play by play and are just scrolling through the score, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this quarter is pretty close. They kind of going back and forth with that lead. But but then once they got to the eight thirteen mark of the second quarter, uh, Trez had a little like nine foot runner, and from that point on, the Clippers led the rest of the way, uh, except for that eight second stretch where KD got that dunk. Uh, the Warriors led, and, and then Lou four point play, four yep. point play. So. Mm-hmm. To me, like it's like, how do you how do you top the the greatest comeback of all time? Well, you just lead the entire game against the Warriors, and and I actually think this win probably was more impressive. Yeah, I, I agree with that. This one was more impressive. This last one, because I think we have to also accept the fact that you know they did come back from thirty one, but they were down thirty one in the first place, which means they played pretty pretty bad uh, for a good stretch of that game. Um, I know they, you know, they started that first half off well, and then the Warriors went on their, you know, little spurt and and took their big lead. So while it was Im- impressive to see them come back, I think the more impressive part is the, you know, leading the Warriors pretty much wire to wire. Um, the more complete game from everyone: uh, Gallo, Lou, Trez, Jermichael, Pat. I mean, even Trey and Landry had some good moments. Uh, it was just good all around. Whereas, you know, that that game too, there were stretches where Gallo looked bad, Shea looked bad. Uh, and you know, it was a lot of Lou and Trez heroics in that in that game too that sort of saved them. So I definitely think is that it's that game, this last game, game five, and uh, especially considering it's you know back against the wall. You know, game two, you're not really eliminated if you lose game two. You're down 0-2. This one, you're going into a hostile environment. Now we, I mean, I've experienced Oracle. This is my first time at Oracle. You've been there a couple of times. You told me how crazy it was, and just being there is insane. I can't imagine playing through something like that. You know, when, when, when the Warriors are making their runs, when they took that lead, it was like, oh, God, okay, here we go. This is where they ended. And Clippers, Clippers kept their composure. Uh, Lou was Lou, as we've seen all season. So I think this last one, this wire-to-wire one, was, was, was easily the most impressive one uh, than Game 2. But Game 2 was still fun. still fun to be a part of. Yeah, no, I mean, but both wins have, have just been incredible. And I, I thought, you know, that, fir- that first one – they had a improbable comeback. The second one, they prevented a comeback. You know, like the the Warriors kept giving them their best shot. Uh, there were multiple times I, I thought the Clippers might fold. Uh, yeah, not, yeah, same. Yeah, and by fold, I don't mean just like give up. It was just like, all right, the Warriors are on a run. Here comes the inevitable. Especially when KD got that dunk, you're like, all right, well, this is it. Like the Warriors are probably going to win this game, and it's going to be disappointing. They collapsed in the fourth, whatever. But they, they just withstood every run. Uh, they they kind of prevented Steph from going off. KD did yeah. his thing, but no one else. I mean, Clay, Clay scored, uh, I think, you know, about 15 points or whatever in the first half. And then he, I think he finished with like 22. Uh, so yeah, he was holding. They really kept him in check in the second half. You know, KD did his thing. But outside of him, like, no one else really hurt them. And I thought that was a big uh, adjustment that they made, it was just being way more. You know, with the, with the style of, of defense they've been playing, of, of trying to like top lock and, and uh, kind of prevent Steph and, and Clay from going off, uh, it, it has allowed guys like Iguodala, uh, McKinney, uh, Kevon Looney, uh, Livingston, like the, these guys have gotten offensive rebounds and back cuts and just kind of gone unguarded for most of the series. I thought this was probably their best defensive performance overall, where 
They were able to lock into the stars relatively so. You're not going to stop them. But they also kind of took away the other guys. And I think that had been Golden State's advantage in the first three games, especially where you know their, their stars were going off, but then the other guys were also burning them. This game, it really was just the stars. And if you can kind of keep those guys in check, you at least have a shot against Golden State. Yeah, I think I think not enough is is discussed, and I, I know we talked about this with Doc today. Like, you know, when when Steph is going off in that game one, and he's dancing and he's doing his shimming, and the crowd's going nuts, they feel almost unbeatable when he's doing that kind of thing. Whereas when KD is doing that, you're sort of like, all right, maybe we can withstand this because KD's getting a lot of his points, you know, in like isolation situations where there isn't too much ball movement, and it's just him being KD. KD's six eleven. He's second, probably the greatest scorer on earth right now. So it's just. Uh, at least for me, like when Katie was going off in, in game five, um, that meant that Steph wasn't, you know, that, in terms of his, I, Steph didn't have a bad game either. It was seven to 15 from the field, not, not too bad, four or five from three. People said, had, for Steph. <laughs> yeah, people said he had a bad game. I'm like, I mean, he had 24 points. It's not, it's not terrible, but by Steph standards, I guess you can compare to the previous games he had. It's, it's not great. Um, yeah, I was just it was just one of those games where like honestly, I had my I was holding my breath the whole game because you never know with these with these Warriors. We've seen they can go on these like five, six, ten point bursts within like a minute and the game's out of hand like that. And just it was it was good to see the Clippers being able to hold Steph in check because I just think as they go as he goes. You know, Katie can get his points, but if Steph is doing his shimming and his dancing around and the crowd's going nuts that's that's going to be next to impossible to win. Whereas when when KD's doing it, um, it feels like you have a better chance. Uh, and 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 like you said, they limited the guys like Kevon Looney. I think they did they did a solid job on the boards, uh, which was a concern of mine, especially when they started Jamichael, uh, and they were pretty undersized going up against Bogut and Kevon Looney. Again, Kevon missed a couple of bunnies there in the paint too, but hey, that's that's the way the game goes. Yeah, and and to your to your point about the crowd, I, I definitely think that. You know, Steph has a different relationship with the Oracle crowd than absolutely, absolutely, he does, or even Clay or, or Draymond. And you know, I would say Oracle's definitely up there in terms of the loudest crowds I've ever heard. I, I would probably put OKC uh, and maybe Portland up there too. But mm-hmm. I've never, I've never seen a team feed off of their home crowd the way that the Warriors do. Like when that crowd is roaring and they're just going nuts, like that team feels like they're invincible and, and, you know, it kind of, it always coincides with the crazy run. Uh, right, right. Steph hits a three, like really, really Steph hitting a three is like the thing you don't want at Oracle just because yeah. Steph hits a three, the crowd loses its mind and then they go on like some crazy run and they either, you know, if they're down, they, they, they narrow the, the deficit or if it's close, they extend the lead. And it's just like Steph hitting threes at Oracle is death because that, that crowd just loves it. And to that point, that it's it's with Steph, it doesn't feel like you need more than a single three pointer to yeah. to sort of just blow that arena up. Whereas with other guys, you're you might need a couple. Steph does. Steph hits one, and you're already like, oh crap, here we go. This is it. This is where you just you lose it. So again, it was just great to see him held in check. And you made a great point about the relationship with the crowd. It's just different. Steph Steph's is very unique in in his relationship with the crowd. And I just wonder, if, you know. This is down the line, but how their new chase center is going to be in terms of the crowd, in terms of how big it is. Oracle Arena is special. Uh, I, I wonder if they can replicate that at the chase center. Yeah, from from my from what I've heard and, and read about the new arena, it seems like they're trying to replicate uh, a similar vibe in terms of the size and, and the low ceiling because that that's a 
kind of in you know, huge. Never, if you've never been yeah. to Oracle Arena, it's kind of hard to understand it, but it is a pretty small arena. It almost feels like a college arena. It does seem like that just noise bounces in that arena, unlike in, in most other arenas. But you, you just mentioned Jermichael Green and that, you know, I think to me, the two best adjustments the Clippers have made this series uh, was one switching Landry Shamit onto Steph Curry, uh, just because, you know, so, something that I don't think people have talked about enough with, and, and this isn't, you know, by any means supposed to be criticism, but like the Clippers aren't the biggest fans of, of Pat Beverly on point guards. And I think that's kind of gone unnoticed uh, and, and not really discussed as much all season, but you know, that, that was part of why they liked Avery initially was he would be the on-ball guy against point guards. Right. And Pat, they'd usually put on twos or threes. And once Avery was gone, that kind of shifted the roles. And then you had you had Shea and, and Shamit. And it was like, all right, well, now we have two rookies we're, we're trying to put on point guards. So right. there were some times they put Pat, you know, more on point guards. But for the most part, if you look at, you know, defensively the matchups they've used Pat in, it's been LeBron, it's been Paul George, a uh, little bit of Kevin Durant in the regular season, and, and just on and on and on, they've always put him on wings. So, you know, there was a lot of talk before the series about, oh, is Pat going to guard Steph? You know, what, what what's that matchup going to be like? And I was kind of skeptical just because I, I did not see them, you know, ultimately liking Pat on, on Steph. Uh, I think they think he gets into foul trouble too much when he's on the ball and, and guarding point guards, and he could just be more physical and get into guys' legs when he's guarding big. Yeah, so, exactly. I think you know even now he he's been guarding uh, Clay a bit more and they've been sticking with with Sham on, on Steph but but so I, I think mo- putting Sham on Steph and the the job Sham has done and you know it's something that we we had seen Sham as a as a you know solid defender at times during the regular season but he wasn't exactly you know lighting it up defensively and it, he was definitely yeah, not like a, a shooter you know kind of that JJ Redick role coming off screens whatever. So that that adjustment, I think, really saved the Clippers defensively. And then Jamichael, like that has been the, you know, that I think now has surpassed that where Zoo was struggling. This is not a great matchup for him. Uh, you know, yeah. to play against this team, you, you really got to, you know, especially defensively. Zoo's been struggling offensively. And then, you know, a lot of that is, has to do with those hand injuries that he has that, um, you know, have really compromised his ability to catch the ball and finish. But defensively, Against Golden State, you have to be able to rotate. You have to be able to make quick decisions. Uh, you know, you if you're playing that back line, you really have to, you know, be a, cognizant of where the ball is and who's behind you and all this stuff. And Zoo, for as good as he's been defensively, as, as much as he's helped them defensively, I don't think he, he was ready for that. And I think he got pretty quickly exposed in this series. So I think moving to, to Jermichael, and the job Jamichael's done, I think at times he's been their third best player in the series for, for long stretches, mm-hmm. uh, you know, spacing the floor, uh, dri- like driving and kicking, driving and finishing, uh, just, just dragging Bogan and Looney out. And then also on the defensive side, defending KD, switching on to other guys. Like, I think Jamichael has really turned the series, in, in my opinion. Uh, again, I, I don't know if that means – I don't think that necessarily means the Clippers win this or even win game six. But if they have any shot, I think it's in large part because of Jamichael Green. Well, I mean, look, to Zoo's credit, it's any traditional five is going to struggle against the Warriors just because of the way they, they move the ball and pick you apart. And I think, especially against the Warriors, you need a floor spacer and someone who can also, 
not necessarily match up well, but you know, just just be just be a guy who can switch off. You know, switch off to a two, switch off to a three, and and, and at least keep up with them. And I think. I, at least from my perspective, I've been most surprised by Jamichael's ability to to stay with KD. Now, now KD's getting getting his points, he's getting to the, getting his fouls and all that, but it, it's not coming too easy over the last couple of games. Maybe percentage wise, it is. Uh, it just looks like KD's really having to work whenever Jamichael's on him, and then whenever they whenever they do end up switching and stuff like that, uh, Jamichael's able to stay stay in front of Clay, stay in front of Steph uh, for the most part. Um, I think. Another thing I've been most impressed with is is Jamichael's three point shooting. He's yeah. he's uh, shooting eleven of nineteen in the series, which is fifty eight percent. I I did not I didn't know he had that in his game. I mean I thought he could hit the occasional three, but not be. I mean he's basically saved saved these last couple of games. Like I, I I think that if they if they just withstand that little run that little burst in game four, there's a chance they win that game as well. Now it's easier said than done, but. It yeah, just, no, I, I, I think, think they, game four was one that got away, and it seemed like in the locker room that was something uh, yeah, they were discussing openly. That. Absolutely. And I think, I, think, I think that it was tough for, you know, Jermichael, I don't think he started all year with this unit. Um, I know he's been coming off the bench with Lou and Trez come, making that little trio. And then um, starting a playoff game, you know, it's a whole different scenario. So I think it took them some time to adjust to it. But we saw in game three, the game five, they, they picked it up right away. Um, the spacing they had, five guys who can really shoot the ball, be a threat. Um, it's just it was really good for them, and I'd be curious to see how the Warriors adjust to that. Because look, if Jermichael's going to stay this hot from three, I mean, the Warriors have to make some adjustments in, in terms of what they're going to do. Are they going to, you know, force him to shoot, keep shooting those? Are they going to make him, you know, are they going to force people to drive and not let him get those shots off? I just don't know what they're going to do in terms of that. And, um, a big part of that, I think, is also Gallinari finally getting going. Like that, yeah, that, that took forever. I mean, games <laughs> three, four were like, come on, these are open looks at this point that you're just missing. And yeah, you know, we saw him get to the line right away uh, in game five, and that sort of sparked him. He missed a couple threes, then he made one, then he had a dunk, and it's just it's totally just snowballed into a good game for him. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm happy that the, this five that they, they're starting is working. Uh, I'm just curious to see how the Warriors adjust to it because. You know they have again. They have five guys who can really shoot the ball and spread the space to floor. Now I don't know if they maintain this level of shooting, uh, especially from Jermichael. Yeah. But uh, so far he hasn't really shown that he's slowing down. So yeah, and, and so Anthony Slater, the the Warriors writer for the Athletic, he floated out on Twitter. I think that he's wondering if the Warriors counter with the death lineup or the Hamptons five lineup and, and go with Draymond at center, Katie at. Uh, four and then you you kind of I mean it, that was the the best lineup in the NBA this season I think historically over the you know the, I guess now three-year sample size that's one of the best lineups of all time uh just because you know that I mean Draymond at the five is kind of what revolutionized the last few years of basketball uh and just all the small ball stuff and shooting uh so that you know but that lineup's actually, I think it's, I want to say it's in minus seven in 30 minutes this series. So not a huge sample size, but it has not exactly lit the Clippers up uh, when they've been out there. So I don't know. My my, my only fear, um, you know, and I, I know, like, I do believe in momentum and I don't necessarily believe in, like, you have one good game that, that doesn't mean it's going to translate over to the next game. But it almost felt like the first, three and a half games so kind of taking that second half of game two out the Clippers have just missed a bunch of shots and 
you got to give the Warriors credit for their defense. I think people always forget how good defensively they are, and they've really shown that at times in the series, especially games three and four when they kind of locked in on on Lou and, and Trez and shut yeah. them down. Mm-hmm. But it, it felt like the Clippers missed a lot of open shots, and then, and then the data supported that. You know, I think they were shooting somewhere around thirty percent on, on their uncontested shots through the first like four games of the series, which is pretty bad. Uh, maybe a little higher, thirty-two percent, something like that. Uh, and then that all came, you know, I felt like that all came flooding out in, in game five where they're basically hitting everything. You know, they shot 54%. Uh, they, they made what, 13 threes. They, they, they were just kind of on fire. They only missed two free throws. Like o- overall, it was a great offense performance from them. The Warriors conversely, it, it felt like the Warriors missed a bunch of shots and, and, you know, the Clippers did play pretty good defense, but especially in that fourth quarter, I felt like there was a couple times clay got open he missed open shots. Uh, they had a sequence where I think they had like three or four shots and, and two of them were threes where they, they were getting pretty good looks and they just kept missing and missing offensive rebound, miss offensive rebound, miss. And it did feel like a little bit of a, you know, maybe a course correction of just the basketball gods being like, Hey, you know, the Clippers have missed everything. Warriors have made everything. <laughs> even this out. That yeah. kind of scares me for game six. Cause I'm like, if, if that evens out again, where now the Warriors are shooting better, like, the Clippers really only shot is going to be either a a better defensive performance or them hitting shots at a similar rate. Like if if it kind of trends in the you know where they're playing worse defense or, or similar defense and, and they're not making as many shots, like uh, you know th- they probably lose Game Six. I, I think that's really their only shot. I mean, if I if I have my numbers right, the Clippers shot about forty four percent. Let me see this. Yeah, they shot they shot forty one percent on on when they had at least six feet uh, or more of space, you know, wide open according to NBA.com stats. Forty one percent on wide open shots. Uh, that was games one through four. So you weren't kidding. They were just shoot. They were just they were just not making shots, and and I guess that happens in the playoffs. I think a lot of that is also mental. A uh, big part of that I think came to Gallinari, where you know you miss a couple of bunnies. They're they're really cutting out the space that you have, and then it just starts getting mental. Um, it's at the point for me where I, you know, I, you, you can see anything in game, in game six. I, would you be surprised by any result in game six? I, I would not be surprised to see the Clippers no, do a similar wire to wire lead and then win again by like nine or 10. I also wouldn't be surprised to see the Warriors do what Clay said, come out and win by 30. It's just, it, nothing surprises me because we've seen the best of both teams and a bit of the worst of both teams. Um, Ultimately, I think the Warriors sort of control their own destiny. Where if they play their own game, um, you know, play their sort of fast pace, get stops, run out, they're going to win this game easily. But the Clippers have done a good job of, of, of you know, not making some live ball turnovers. If they have turnovers, it's like a shot clock violation, which you know it, it doesn't ignite their break. Um, and then, yeah, they're just limited turnovers from that aspect. And then, um, really honed in on the on the on the relocating of Steph and Clay, especially off there, you know, once they give up the ball and relocate for those corner threes or those those sort of uh, wing threes. Yeah. Um they've done a good job of, of shutting those down. Um but again it's just one of those where if the Warriors, you know, maybe they get an extra pick to, to free up Steph. Maybe they get an extra guy to free up Clay. Um I, I just wouldn't be surprised at, at this point with any result. And um like you said that the Warriors missed a lot of open shots last game and, and a lot of those were like Okay, I expect them to make this. I expect them to make this, and they didn't. Uh, whereas, you know, Gallo, we've we've seen it all year. Gallo has made 
Gallo is what the third best three point shooter this season, I think. Yeah. Third or fourth, yeah. something like that. He's up there. And then he's been he's been at like twenty eight percent coming into game five. Uh, so it's just I wouldn't be surprised by any result, and it's uh, it's actually kind of fun like that where you just don't know what's gonna happen, and and you know, you just gotta go in and see see what happens. It's it's weird. <laughs> yeah. So I I agree with you. I think nothing would really surprise me. I mean, I guess a Clippers blowout would probably be the only outcome. That I don't see that happening. But, That's, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's funny because I I talk to, um. You know, I think we, we, we probably have the best Warriors coverage in the business. And, you know, I was talking to the, the Warriors guys all before the series and they were all kind of saying the same thing. Like, ah, oh, this team's going to screw around. They're going to, you know, there's no way that this team sweeps the Clippers. Like their Clippers are going to win at least one game. If not two, the Warriors have done this all season. They screw around. They don't take their opponents seriously. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Marcus. Marcus Thompson yesterday before tip off about ten minutes, I was he sat right next to me in the media room and I talked to him. And he, was, he was like, you know what, dude? Honestly, I would not be surprised to see them lose because they just they do not put their foot on the gas. Uh, he said he said if if, they, if their first couple shots are just you know home run plays those threes, Clippers are going to win this game. And and I mean, <laughs> he called it. He called it. It's just one of those games. He, you guys have uh, have really nailed down the Warriors coverage and you guys know this team well. It's, uh, yeah, no, and, and and at the same time, like you don't want to take away from from the the Clippers' performance and, and their win, but you you know, and I've I've seen some some people try to say like, um, you know, kind of acknowledging that about the Warriors is discrediting the Clippers, and and I disagree with that just because, you know, I think again, like objectively, we we've seen you know. <laughs> We saw peak warrior. Peak warriors was game three, and they came out and absolutely destroyed the Clippers. They were angry. The they came out not, angry. Yeah, the Clippers didn't play exactly well. You know, game three was probably also happened to be just their worst overall game, but um, or arguably game three or game one. But uh, it was also just like when the Warriors are rolling, like the Clippers don't have a shot, and and that's not a again, that's not like a diss towards the Clippers. Pretty much, no one has a shot with the Warriors. When yeah, rolling. yeah, it's nothing against the Clippers. Can they focus? Can they lock in? Can they be rolling for 40, 40 of 48 minutes or, or whatever, 35 of 48 minutes? Um, so I, I think game six is probably going to be similar to game four. Um, I, I, I see it being sort of a five to 10 point advantage either way. And it's just a matter of, you know, can the Clippers – um, you know, make shots and, and get stops in the fourth, or do the Warriors, you know, have an avalanche of of offense and, and kind of just bury the Clippers? Um, I mean, look, I, I keep saying that the Warriors are going to win. Uh, you know, my official prediction was I went back with, between four and five. I ultimately went with five, just from again those conversations with Warriors people where they're like, they're, "This team's going to lose at least one game." So I was like, "All right, if, if enough people are telling me this, uh, I'm going to pick five. But wow. you know they got they got the, the first one early, and I was not expecting a second one. So you know if we're gonna get into predictions here, I am gonna say I, I expect a a very pissed off and engaged Warriors team to just end this Friday night. But okay. I've been wrong. You know I didn't I didn't predict a game two or a game five victory. So uh, what do I know? It could be wrong. Uh, but what's your prediction for game six? It's tough. I, I mean I think. One thing that's important to note, like, you know, we walked in the locker room pregame. I don't know if you were there, actually, but I walked in the locker room pregame. And, um, you know, for the Clippers, you expect, you know, elimination game, you expect the guys to be a little tense. You expect some seriousness around, 
and like you know they're playing music out loud they're rapping they're like cracking jokes like it was just another game you know and uh, to me that just showed that you know their i think their mental toughness hasn't hasn't wavered at all this year um you know whether the warriors are up 10 20 or I mean, 30 we even saw um so i do expect a similar performance to game 4 um I don't want to say, like, I don't know if the Clippers can, can pull this one out because, again, I expect the Warriors to be fully pissed, especially Clay Thompson. Um, <laughs> He's going to go back to the Pacific Ocean and enjoy. <laughs> He's going to jump in the ocean, yeah. Um, look, I expect the Warriors win, but I honestly would not be surprised if we have to book our flights back to Oakland for Game 7 because the Warriors just haven't, haven't played a complete 48-minute game outside of, uh, outside of Game 3. But they won by like what was it twenty eight or something like that? They just haven't. Um, and uh, again, I think it comes down to just making shots for the Clippers and slowing down, slowing down the Warriors in transition. That transition game for them, especially when it's like almost Oracle South here at Staples Center, sometimes um, just slowing them down in transition, not letting them get easy breakaway dunks, those those fast break three pointers. Um, you know, and and a lot of that is 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 on the Clippers making shots, getting good shots, not allowing leak outs to the Warriors. So. Um, I'm going to predict a Warriors win, but I think it'll be a very close one. And, uh, you know, win, lose, or draw, Clipper fans are going to give them a stand, give their team a standing O uh, because this season, uh, this series has been, you know, more than anyone, I think more than you, you or I could have even predicted, could have asked for. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I predict a Warriors win, but I think Clipper fans will be, will be very proud of this team regardless of the outcome. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. Uh, I, I think that this has really cemented this as as a special uh, season. I, I don't know if you saw Zach Lowe wrote today um, his, his winners and losers from the first round, and um, he had he had Shea and Landry uh, as, as winners, and he also had Lou and Trez as winners. But in, in the Shea and Landry part, he said that you know that there's some there's some you know kind of maybe random's not the right word but but sort of random teams over the last few years that that have grabbed the hearts of like NBA nerds and and that was that that 48 win Suns team I think that was 2013-14 and then mm-hmm. I want to say the 20 maybe it was 2014-15 or 2015-16 Heat team that team that they started like 13 and 30 or and they closed out like 31 and 10 I think yeah and then they finished 41 and 41 and and yeah. like the 9 seed and barely missed the playoffs um, and, and just kind of the, these random, these random seasons where there's the low expectations and the team completely overachieves and he kind of put the Clippers in that category. And, and I agree, like, and, and, but I, I think they've, they've even surpassed both of those teams. You know, they, both those teams missed the playoffs. Uh, this team made the playoffs. They, they won two games against the Warriors. We'll never know what would have happened had they gotten Denver or Portland in the first round. Um, you know, for yeah, better, that's big. Mm-hmm. As, as good as good as those teams have looked at, at times in, in this postseason, they're not the Warriors, and you know, yeah. you don't know the Clippers. The Clippers could be up three two potentially in one of those series, or um, you know, we'll, we'll never know that. But uh, I do agree with you. I, I think that this kind of cemented just a, a special season for a team that really ha- has had no expectations. Um, you know, outside of its, outside of that locker room and, and I guess the fan base, like yeah, there, there have been no expectations for this team really at every turn. Um, you know, before the season, during the season when they were winning, everyone was saying it was fool's gold. Then they make the trades. Then, you know, same thing. Uh, they're going to tank now. 
then they, you know, they still make the playoffs. Then, all right, well, you got the Warriors. You're going to get swept. You're going to get embarrassed. And, um, you know, there, there's been some embarrassing moments. But overall, I mean, down 3-2 to the Warriors, uh, I think anyone in the NBA would take that, honestly. Like, you know, the, the Warriors might not lose two games in a series uh, again for the rest of the playoffs. Like, that that would not shock me. Uh, you know, maybe Houston would, would right tough to not lose twice but mm-hmm. it, if, if they beat houston five i you know they could they have that potential uh so it, it's you know like you said it, it's been a great season and i think it's nice to but the season does end at least end at, at staples have, have ralph go out on, on you know positive yeah, at home exactly um, have the crowd you know be able to engage with the with the players you know at, at home and um it's friday night it should be fun um tomer what where can people follow you on, on Twitter and Instagram? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Tomer Azarly. That's T-O-M-E-R-A-Z-A-R-L-Y on uh, both Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah, you should like a lot of my tweets whenever I take jabs at Jonah, <laughs> a.k.a. Yovan. Um, All right, Tomer. And yeah. All right. <laughs> thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At getethos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork, or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. In most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day, with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Getethos.com. Getethos.com. Thank you for Tomer for coming on. Always fun to have a fellow Clippers writer on. If you want to reach out to me, you can follow me, tweet me, at me on Instagram, uh, at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. That's at Jovan Buha on both Instagram and Twitter. Uh, If you'd like to read my work, please subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, You can subscribe for the price of a cup of coffee. Uh, Try a one-week free trial. Uh, Lots of good stuff on the Clippers, on the Warriors, on really the NBA playoffs overall right now. Uh, So please check that out. Most importantly, if you have not subscribed to this podcast, uh, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify. You can search Clip City or Blue Wire. Uh, Please leave five-star reviews. Uh, Four-star is okay, but uh, prefer five-star. So some nice comments. Uh, complimenting my hair or something like that uh, would be much appreciated so uh, thank you guys for listening i'll be back after game six it will either be preparation for game seven or a clipper eulogy review of the season i don't know what's going to happen but i am looking forward to it talk to you guys soon